0: Isn't Acts a uh, wonderful book of the Bible? I think that today's story, along with the story of Philip and the eunuch, have got to be my two favourites. Both of them have at their core uh, themes of cross-cultural mission and also of the Holy Spirit speaking to people and directing the, their actions. The events of today's story also constitute one of the major turning points in the history of the early church. But before we get into all those things, let's talk about something really important. Food. For many years, my family, my extended family, persisted in getting together for Christmas dinner. But after a while, the menu got a bit too complicated. First, it was my sister-in-law, who's a vegetarian, a nephew, who is allergic to eggs, A sister-in-law who couldn't eat fish, another sister-in-law who couldn't eat beef. My brother is gluten intolerant. I myself am lactose intolerant. My dad had hang-ups about chicken. It makes hospitality a little bit difficult, doesn't it? In all, ki- in all cultures, different cultures, eating together, giving food and graciously receiving food is central to hospitality. This is particularly true in traditional cultures. In rural Cambodia where Ali and I worked, one of the most common greetings was, Nyam Bai, Howie, know? have you eaten yet? If you answered, not yet, well, you had to be prepared to eat what was on offer. Working cross-culturally gets a bit tricky when it comes to food, especially if you think too much about hygiene. I remember when I was training to be a missionary, a returned missionary from Africa came to talk to us. He told us about a well-renowned, well-respected international worker who had spent a lot of time in Africa visiting. Uh, remote villages and promoting the planting of trees. The work of this man was apparent for many years after transforming those villages. The missionary that was talking to us visited that area some time later and asked the, the locals about that man. They said, yes, we remember him. He was the man who didn't eat any of our food or drink our water. That was what they remembered him most for, how he had offended them, not the good work he had done. So what about Peter and first-century Palestine? Well, the Greeks had ruled all those countries around there for a long time before the Romans took over, so most most people could speak Greek. and. The Hebrew scriptures had also been uh, translated into Greek. So the language wasn't much of a barrier. The Jews had settled in a lot of different places and had established synagogues, but they kept apart. They traded, but um, didn't intermarry. And um, their faith was attractive to a lot of people Or quite a few people, and some people, they uh, became circumcised and they joined in the Jewish community. Others, they took on the central tenets of the faith, but they didn't go the whole way. So while that might have been recognised by the Jews, they still were considered outsiders and unclean. In our story today, Cornelius was probably one of this latter group of people. When the Christians first were persecuted in Jerusalem, they had to flee. A lot of the leaders fled out into the provinces and they started spreading the good news there, but only to the Jews. Some preached to the Samaritans who were mm, despised, but at least they were circumcised and they kept the food laws. Peter himself went to Samaria and spent some time there and then he travelled from place to place and then in the previous chapter we hear about him being called to Joppa where he heals the recently deceased lady Tabitha and then in the last verse of that chapter we hear that he spent a long time staying with Simon the Peter in Joppa so that's the lead up to our story today. In the Bible verses we read today, I think one of the things that really stands out to me is the various ways that God uses to communicate. So first we have an angel appearing to Cornelius. Then we have um, the the remarkable vision, a very strange vision that Peter has. And uh, it's repeated three times over. And then the Holy Spirit actually talks directly to Peter and assures him that he should go with these men that have come looking for him throughout the bible angels have uh, god used angels to bring messages to people to reassure them and support them but we don't hear much about angels nowadays it seems to me that acts shows a significant transition for God's telecommunication strategies. In this passage, we have an angel appearing to Cornelius, who's not yet a Christian, but to Peter, who's an apostle. It's visions and direct words from the spirit. Sure, in in chapter 12, it's an angel who leads Peter out of the prison cell. But his acts continues to go on. it seems like it's more and more the Holy Spirit that leads and guides people. You see, as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit living with us, in us, and therefore we have a direct trunk line to God. Maybe if we're in tune with the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't really need to expect to see angels. Excuse me. Do you have visions or dream dreams that you know or suspect are from God? I have loads of dreams. Ali will testify that when I get up in the morning, I tell her all these long, ridiculous, convoluted stories that have happened in my dreams. But just occasionally, I have a different sort of dream. One time this happened when Ali and I were in the early stages of preparing to go to Cambodia. In the dream, I was driving through uh, this very distinctive landscape, uh, sort of tropical highlands. I'd never been to somewhere like that in real life, and I'd never seen anything like it on TV. And then later when we were in, uh, had arrived in Cambodia, we had an invitation to go up and visit Mondokiri province and potentially work there. So I was keen, because of my dream to have an exploratory trip, we drove all day and as we came out of the forest into these upland areas, I knew straight away that this was where God intended us to work. I believe the Holy Spirit communicates to us in many different ways. Sometimes uh, it can be as simple as a Bible verse that suddenly takes on new and significant meaning. Other times it's more dramatic. Maybe it depends a bit upon uh, how important the decision you've got to make is. So what can we learn from Peter? We first come across Peter in the Gospels. He's one of the first disciples to be chosen. And he quickly becomes one of Jesus' closest friends. He's passionate, but bumbling. He declares that he would even die for Jesus, but when he's put to the test, he denies him three times. After Jesus is resurrected, he recommissions Peter to be the leader of the church, and he stumbles along in that role until Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit is poured out at Pentecost. From then on, we see a very different Peter. He's able to... uh, defy the religious leaders. He's able to speak eloquently and persuasively. He's able to do amazing miracles, able to raise the dead back to life, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. No, he's not Superman. Did you notice in our story how when Cornelius tries to bow down and worship Peter, Peter says, get up. I am just a man too. But he has become a man who's become in tune with the spirit. We see him in the story taking time out to go alone and pray and allow the spirit to speak to him. And when when the spirit does speak, he's willing to follow the lead. He's become a man of the spirit, an example to all Christians, a model for us. This chapter, chapter 10, is really Peter's biggest role in this whole saga, and after that in Acts, he seems to fade out of the the narratives. So what's the big deal about this story? Why did an angel have to appear to Cornelius? Why did Peter have to see this vision, strange vision, three times over? Why did the Holy Spirit have to reassure Peter to go with Cornelius's men. And more to the point, why did Luke think that this story was so important? He describes it all in very fine detail and then in the very next chapter repeats the whole thing again. The answer is food. Well, not really, but food is tied up in it. The reason I started out this morning talking about food is to point out the major dilemma that Peter was facing and that faced the whole church. You see, there was a huge cultural gap between the Jews and the Gentiles, actually more like a giant chasm. The Jews were God's people, chosen. The Gentiles were unclean, and they ate unclean food. For a Jew to enter the house of the Gentile, it meant that he uh, would be excluded from the Jewish community and have to be purified before he could enter into worship with them again. It's a little bit like taking a holiday in New South Wales and then trying to get back to Victoria. Just a joke. In those times, to enter a person's house it was given that you would eat there. Apart from circumcision, what you ate was the main outward sign of your commitment to the Jewish faith. So it was very important. Now, if we take a look at the slide, um, you have a little illustration of what Peter might have seen and the animals there that he was confronted with. From early childhood, We're all taught what is acceptable as food and what isn't. And when you're brought up with assumptions about food and about other people and their habits, it's hard to get past them. You can really understand Peter's complete revulsion and his his strenuous objection when he's told in this vision to get up, kill and eat them. When I went to Cambodia, I carried with me the story about the international worker, remembered only for the food and water he refused to eat and take when it was offered him. I therefore had a policy to eat with joy whatever was put in front of me. And after 13 years, I grew to quite like a lot of Cambodian dishes. However, I still found it hard to fully enjoy a bowl of soup that had pieces of chicken's intestine floating around in it. So I really appreciate what Peter must have felt when he saw this vision. To change Peter's heart fully, the Holy Spirit had a tough job. And the vision, this vision was only a means to an end. He would have to accept not only unclean food, but unclean people. People so different to him that he would never normally enter their house and would would never have um, told them the good news. He had to be thoroughly convinced to do this. So after the extraordinary vision, an extra prod from the Holy Spirit, and then hearing the men from Cornelius tell about the angel, he seems willing enough to go with them. When he gets to Cornelius' house and he's talking to them, He actually makes some radical comments. If we look at the Bible verses together I've got here, you'll see. It says in uh, verse 28, this is what Peter says, God has shown me I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. And then in verse 34, he says, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. I think that by the time that Peter Peter had got to Cornelius' house, he had had time to reflect on all that had happened and the instruction of the Holy Spirit would have called to his mind things that he had heard Jesus say, such as, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the whole world to the ends of the earth. And also, he would have called to mind some of the Old Testament prophecies, such as, you will be a light to the nations. Peter finally puts two and two together. Jesus died and rose again, not just to reconcile the Jews to God, But to save all people. So Peter didn't just go and do something radical because he heard a voice prompting him. He evaluated everything that had happened in the light of what he knew about Jesus' nature and about what the scriptures said. Then God's plan became very clear to him. We must do this too. When we have a dream or a prompting that we think is from the Spirit, does it it match up with what the Bible says about God's plans for us? Does it fit in with what we know about God's nature? In chapter 10 and in the following couple of chapters, Peter seems to have become quite comfortable with staying in Gentile households and eating with them. But we get this interesting little snippet in Galatians 2, 11 to 12. It seems that some Jewish legalists had come up to the city of Antioch where Peter was. And Peter gets fastidious again. He starts only eating with the Jews. That's until Paul challenges him. It seems that this food thing is so ingrained it only takes a little bit of peer pressure for the old habits to resurface. It's just easier to hang out with people like yourself, isn't it? And, gee, it's just really hard to look past those bits of chicken intestine floating around in soup, I can tell you. So the Holy Spirit had done a remarkable work in Peter, but he had to keep working on Peter. He has to keep working on me, and he has to keep working on you. And we have to keep each other accountable, just as Paul had to keep Peter accountable. Now, just as Peter's vision was not primarily about food, neither is my message today. It's about how we regard other people. So I challenge you to look at your attitudes to the people around you. Those who are different, with with different lifestyles, different goals to yours. Those from different cultures, different religious backgrounds. People who speak English with difficult language, with different uh, difficult accents, or maybe they don't speak English at all. With the Holy Spirit's help, is anyone too difficult to love, too hard to invite into your house, to eat with them? Don't all people deserve a chance to hear about Jesus and to know that they can be put right with God? Are your philosophies around food helpful or harmful in Uh, creating opportunities for hospitality? Are they harmful or, or helpful in accepting hospitality? Do you treat all people equally? Growing up, I have to admit that I looked down on people who drank and smoked. That was because in the church that I grew up in, these activities were frowned upon. So somehow in my mind, I'd associated... These things these things were bad, so the people who did them must be bad too. They become different to me, outsiders. It takes the Holy Spirit, it took the Holy Spirit to um, point out the error of that to me and to change me, and make me accepting of others. Well, I hope I've given you some food for thought. But more importantly, I hope that today, the Holy Spirit has started to talk to you, has started to challenge your attitudes, started to transform you. Look at at what are the barriers and break those down. Who of your neighbours and associates do you need to look at differently? In this last year, some of you might have met neighbours that you hadn't had a chance to talk to before. Is the Holy Spirit prompting you to take next steps with them? That's not an invitation to go and break the current COVID regulations, but I'm encouraging you to reflect on uh, what is the Holy Spirit guiding you to do in the near future. I hope the very near future. Peter was a tough cookie, but the Holy Spirit changed him. We all come to Jesus needing to be changed. Are you willing to become people of the Spirit? Thank you.